We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. That's important, you know, for this organization, um, for the fans that stuck by us for this long um, and, 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 still, and still do so. Um, like I said, since, since I've been in Phoenix, we haven't had the, the win success that we have, but the support's been there. Um, and this is, what we owe, this is what we owe to the fans, we owe to the organization. You know, it's been, a, it's been a long time for us, and, you know, I think this bubble opportunity was big for us, and we're taking advantage of it. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here as always with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? Lovely. It's a it's a lovely Sunday morning, Mike. It's amazing. We didn't do an emergency episode for you guys this time. We figured you could wait until the morning. However, yeah. the Suns are five and zero, and it's amazing how much the stresses of the world start to fade away when your basketball team is <laughs> the last undefeated team in the bubble. 
It's actually true because I feel like I've developed a thick enough skin that the losses no longer affect my mood outside of when I'm watching the game. That'll change. Uh, when I'm when I'm watching a game, the losses do still affect my mood. But afterwards, I tend to shake it off pretty quickly. But during this win streak, I find myself uh, just feeling good like hours later, well, <laughs> the next day. Or, or It's really amazing how your team winning can have like a long, longer-term effect on your mood overall. At the risk of looking like an idiot here, I could say that where we may start to be approaching the area that we're starting to approach for the suns is kind of the warriors the the first breakout year for the warriors but before they were a contender the first time they made the playoffs with steph curry and clay thompson when like david lee was their third best player we're starting to approach that point where the suns are still fun like everyone loves the suns because they're still Mm -hmm. kind of underdogs but they enjoy watching Mm -hmm. us win um, but it's very much a fine line to walk, Mike. And I will say hope is a dangerous thing because you said losing doesn't affect your mood. But if we, if the Suns ever become as good as the 2015-2016 Warriors were, which is ultimately where we want them to get, um, those fan bases would take massive hits whenever they would lose a game because, you know, you would just go into every single game assuming you were going to blow out the competition. So then when some team like, you know, the lowly Phoenix Suns back then would actually give you a good fight... Um, it would be really hard to shake off those losses. I think we're at the fine line right now where the Suns are somehow undefeated, but they're still an underdog. And uh, enjoy it while it lasts because that, that doesn't happen for too long. Yeah, very. Un- it's an unlikely scenario where the Suns still have hope to make the playoffs after five games. When the bubble was first announced, you and I took a look at the odds of the Suns making the playoffs and what it would have taken. We broke it down pretty pretty carefully when it first came out, essentially saying the Suns would have to go either 8-0 and 7-1, and and even still, especially in the 7-1 scenario, it was out of their hands in order for them to make the playoffs. Things have just gone their way more often than not. There are scenarios where players are being rested against teams that we want to lose, but other than that, even Damian Lillard missed two clutch free throws in order to secure a loss for the Trailblazers, which benefits the Suns in a lot of ways. The the likelihood of all of these things coming together, even up until this point, not to not to even mention the, the idea of them making the playoffs yet, but even just to win five games, to be in the position that they're in in the seeding is just insanely unlikely. And I want to say this too. This is exactly what makes sports Fun. This type of story is what makes it fun because the chances of it happening were so low. And the idea that the entire NBA world, now everyone sort of can rally around one of the worst teams in the bubble going on an insanely unlikely run. This is why the games are played because before this, we thought none of this would matter. And now it it matters a lot. This is this it's already a success for the Phoenix Suns just going 5 and 0. But there's still so much more. There's still so much more just to play the odds game with you a little bit. The odds of Damian Lillard, a career 89% free throw shooter, bricking two straight free throws as he did the other night to seal another uh, another good outcome for Phoenix, 1.2%. 
were the odds of that happening. The odds of the Phoenix Suns in a vacuum, if, if we take what the Suns' record is now, which is 31 and 39, and then their winning percentage is about 44% on the season, the odds of a team with a 44% win percentage to win five games in a row in a vacuum is 1.7%. That's what the Suns have done so far. The odds, as you <laughs> said, Mike, have been very low. So we should appreciate just, first of all, you know what this team has done. It is It is injected a newfound sense of hope into at times would have seemed like a dormant fan base. Um, certainly, I'm noticing a lot more Suns fans online paying attention uh, mm-hmm. over the past couple of weeks. Certainly, obviously, I'm noticing all of the national media attention, most of most of which, I will say most of which, has been positive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll get to a little bit more of that later. But um, yeah, this this has just been the most... I mean, it's the first five-game winning streak. We didn't even... We haven't even said it yet. First five-game winning streak for the Suns since 2014. Mm-hmm. Six years. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. It really is. And I think what it's done for the reputation of the players has been just a success on its own. If the Suns make the playoffs, this entire season becomes a massive success. It it, it completely vindicates and validates everything that James Jones has done. It solidifies Monty Williams as like a legitimate, respected, respectable, and great coach for the Phoenix Suns particularly, but just sort of in the NBA pantheon right now. Uh, But even without that, just the fact that Devin Booker is now getting the respect of fans, peers, everyone but the refs (laughs) as an NBA superstar is a great thing for this franchise going forward. If the Suns have cap space, now you can legitimately look at Devin Booker as a superstar to pair with someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Eventually, this will translate to the refs. It will translate to uh, just sort of national media attention in general is also good because as Suns fans, you get tired of the worn out narrative about Devin Booker putting up empty stats. That is now gone, I feel like. Uh, It's it's dissipating. It's not gone yet. But but yeah, I mean, what have we been talking about? And next season matters too. Next season absolutely matters. He has to continue to show positive momentum because that's that's the name of the game when you're a young player. People want to see momentum. Um, it's it's very easy for that sort of thing to fade with, you know, knock on wood, an injury or something like that. You can look at some players who who have had breakout seasons and then have kind of come back down to earth. Um, but yeah, what Booker is doing is amazing right now. I'm glad you brought up the refs, by the way, because I think that's that's a take that we've been seeing online a lot. We just took some calls on our hot take hot, hotline. Um, yesterday, and I know some people were calling in about the lack of respect that Booker gets from the refs. What I do want to say about that is part of it is that part of it is Booker doesn't get respect from the refs. And I'll just read out the stats. Like in the past few games, he took 25 shots against the Clippers. He got five free throw attempts. He took 26 mm-hmm. shots against the uh, Heat last night. He got five free throw attempts. And that is just in another universe from where players like Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden are. Um, and if you look at Booker's season stats, he's still averaging like seven free throws per game. That's right about in line with where he's been for three or four years now. So he's definitely not getting those superstar calls yet. Part of me, though, is just trying to put a little bit of personal responsibility on him, too. He needs to learn how to how to milk it in the right way. And he hasn't quite learned it yet. Definitely, he could get some more calls on those drives, but some of the tough mid-range shots he goes for, you know, the Kobe-esque kind of finishes are very impressive, but but ultimately just aren't going to get him to the free throw line maybe as much as Suns fans want. 
Um, and so I, I think there's a give or take to it. I think there's a way that Devin Booker can get up. He averaged seven free throw attempts per game this year. I think there's a way for him to get up into the 10 to 11 range next year. And with as lethal of a free throw shooter as he is, shooting close to 92% from the line, one of the best free throw shooters in the NBA, certainly. Um, if he could tack on another three, four attempts per game, I mean, Jesus Christ, Mike, he, we're talking about a guy averaging like 33 points per game at that point. Um, yeah. At 24 years old next year, potentially, that is seriously scary if it ever happens. Yeah, and with the way that he shoots free throws, it increases his overall efficiency in general because uh, that's the best way to score is to is to be fouled. It, it provides the most points per possession for him. And, and if he can pair that next season with a higher percentage from three on pull-up shots, uh, that's just an unstoppable superstar Which is, player. is what we've seen so far in the bubble. I'm not saying that's yeah. sustainable. It's only been five games, but we've seen way less of Booker relying on Rubio to feed him to get into the catch-and-shoot position and more of him just going for it, just going for on-ball yes. dribble pull-ups. And uh, yeah, it's been working so far. I'm actually I'm glad you brought that up because there's two things that happened uh, previously Two things that Monty Williams talked about when the idea of the Suns coming back to the bubble was presented and there were some Zoom calls with Monty Williams. He talked about him and James Jones, the front office, looking at the net rating statistics, something that you and I do almost every podcast that we talk about here. Sign us up. We could be in the analytics department. We're here <laughs> you if you go. need us, yeah. Robert. Yeah, I know how to run a basketball reference query. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he talked about two things. The impressiveness of the two small forward lineup, right? The the Mikhail Bridges-Kelly Oubre lineup. And how effective Devin Booker was on ball as a point guard, point book, as we, as we call him. Both of those things have made its way into the bubble. And now I will say, of course, no Kelly Oubre, so that's not changing. But they are starting two small forwards, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, in, in that uh, power forward, small forward role with Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson. That's been very effective. One, it's the best lineup for the Suns so far. But the other thing too is I think they're putting Devin Booker on the ball more with Ricky Rubio off the ball a little bit more, and that allows Devin Booker to make more decisions with the ball. That means scoring more. That means averaging more assists. It also allows Devin Booker to play with guys like Cameron Payne a little bit more, Javon Carter a little bit more, and then Ricky Rubio to run the bench a little bit more, so they can stagger those lineups a little bit. And this is sometimes when a coach says something, I just go, yeah, we'll see, you know, because when, when everything's sort of on the line, when the game's sort of happening, you want to see if they're actually going to do it. And to Monty Williams' credit, he looked at those things and he's made legitimate adjustments yes. to, to make sure that this has happened. And I've been very impressed with, with what he's done. And both of those things seem to be working pretty well. Well, yeah, I mean, credit to, to Monty, seriously, because we, first of all, we didn't know Cam Johnson was going to be starting in the bubble. We thought it was going to be Dario Saric. We were hoping. We were hoping, but we talked about this last week, trimming down the rotation to being more of an eight-man rotation. Um, at this point, I mean, Frank Kaminsky played four minutes last night. At this point, Mike, it's really an eight-man rotation. It's Javon Carter, yeah. Campaign, Dario Saric. That means it is all the more important every single night for those three guys in particular to play well. And look, I think we can be honest and say we've been a little bit lucky so far, maybe. Campaign has yeah. surpassed our expectations. Dario uh, Saric... I know you ride the Dario Saric as a center train, and, and I do too now. He's also maybe been a little bit lucky in the bubble. I don't know if I expected him to play this well. 
Um, but kind of Monty has made the adjustments that he needed to. He's found a way to optimize the lineups, pairing guys like Rubio with Payne and Saric, kind of letting those guys run the offense a little bit more on the bench. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the the combinations are just really, really working right now. Basically, every single player, if you look at the net rating, obviously this would be the case for a team that's 5-0 and in the bubble. But every single player has a positive net rating right now for the Suns. It's it's right. hard to really single out any one player and and take a look at that guy and say that guy's been bad. Except maybe other, Frank, other than Frank. Except yeah. maybe Frank Kaminsky. I realize right. And I his minutes that. have been so limited that it doesn't really. Matter. Well, and and his decreasing minutes have reflected that because seriously, yesterday, uh, I mean, he was playing ten to fifteen minutes in each game. Yesterday, he dropped down to four, and I think Monty at that point. We're going to talk about DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton wasn't particularly effective yesterday, but Monty needed to do something. But I think Frank was so bad that he was like, at that point, fuck it. Dario is a center. We're, we're committing to this principle because we just can't. With Baines out, we can't afford to, to do this anymore, this experiment with Frank. So we'll see where that goes in the future. But other yeah. than him, everyone has been phenomenal. And, and, and it should be said, we're going to talk about the starting lineup at some point, but... Specifically for the bench, I think what makes sense about Dario Saric coming off the bench and and being at the center position, when he's in the starting lineup, it doesn't really make sense to give him playmaking duties. Why? Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker are there, right? Those are two really excellent playmakers. It also does not make sense to run him in the post a lot, to give him the ball in the post. Why? Well, DeAndre Ayton's there. You want that space to be eaten up by DeAndre Ayton. That means he's standing at the perimeter and he has a relatively slow three-point shot that gives less spacing for players that are in there and it doesn't fully utilize him to the best of his capabilities Mm -hmm. with him on the bench at the center position that allows him to eat up some possessions in the post where he's a relatively strong player like I don't feel like we talk about that a lot with Dario he's strong he's not a weak guy he's like Frank Kaminsky is pretty pretty skinny uh can do relatively well rumbling to the rim sometimes terrible three-point shooter now for some reason Whereas Dario can do both a little bit better. Also, when he is on that in that bench role, he grabs and goes. He'll get the rebound and he'll dribble it down the court. He'll look for that initial play to make that play because he's a good passer. I think in the past few games, Indiana and Miami in particular, he was a little overconfident with some of the passes he was making and he was making uh, maybe turning the ball over a little too much. But I think that Overall, his playmaking is good enough that you can trust him more without those other guys on the floor. Now, they have had some minutes paired up with Rubio and Saric. Surprisingly, those minutes haven't been uh, as good as I thought they were just from the eye test as far as net rating goes. That doesn't really matter to me. I still think it makes sense to pair those two guys together uh, if Devin Booker's off the floor. But I've just been really impressed with the way Monty Williams has used Dario. I feel like... Mm -hmm. We've gotten to the point where he's finally being utilized the way that I think he wants to be. Well, I hope he does. I mean, if he's not getting too caught up in the I'm not a starter, therefore that affects my salary, which to be honest, Mike, like no player is going to come out and complain to the media right now because the Suns are 5-0. and They're the story of the NBA. There's no reason for them to. But Dario still has a hefty uh, negotiation process this summer to go through. And it is entirely possible if, the, as we talked about a few weeks ago, if the Spurs come to him and say, hey, do you want to be our starting power forward over Trey Lyles versus him being a, a super kind of switchable Swiss Army man type sixth man as a center, um, then the starting job might appeal to him. But I agree with you. This role is the right role for Dario Saric, not necessarily because he's elite at any one thing, 
but just because he kind of does a little bit of everything. Like he's like you said, he'll grab and go. He'll try to play make for others, but he's also comfortable in the pick and roll. He's been really good um, at kind of sealing off his man. And, and like you said, he is surprisingly strong down there. So he's been able to generate like a surprising amount of free throw attempts. I looked it up. Dario Saric pre-bubble, when he was mostly starting at power forward and he was kind of just pigeonholed into this spot-up shooter position where he couldn't really do much, he was averaging one and a half free throw attempts per game. In the bubble, now that he's given all this freedom to move around with the ball and, and kind of open himself up in different ways, not just stand behind the perimeter, he's averaging 5.2 free throw attempts per game. He's hitting 92% of his free throws in the bubble so far. Dario Saric in a bench role is averaging almost as many free throw attempts as Devin Booker. So that right there is it like... He's still, I feel like, struggling to get a shot off sometimes, struggling to hit the spot-up threes with as much consistency as maybe you would uh, like him to, as much consistency as his reputation gives. But he's able to make it back up with the way that he kind of creates for himself and, and gets to the free-throw line, and it's it's just been huge for this this bench unit. Yeah, and I think we spent a lot of time talking about this because the bench has been so important. We expect... It saved us in, in multiple yeah. games. Yeah. We we expect the minutes of with Ricky Rubio, DeAndre, and, and uh, Devin Booker sharing the court together. We expect those to be good minutes. I think against any team in the NBA, they can do pretty well. Maybe they can't outscore everyone, but generally that's a, a competitive NBA lineup. Outside of that, that's been the problem with this team in general. Shortening the rotation helps. Less Frank Kaminsky minutes, right? That helps a lot. Uh, not playing Ty Jerome at all, that helps a lot. Uh, not playing Elia Kobo at all, that helps a lot. But that brings me to the guy that I think has made a massive difference, and I want to talk about him a little bit, uh, Cameron Payne. It is so hard to figure out if what Cameron Payne is doing is something that can happen consistently after... Uh, for next season, for because, example. Well, because there's this temptation to say that if this is sustainable, and I've seen this opinion online, why not just run it back next year, right? But we right. don't we don't know yet. We we don't know yet. It's been well, five games. Well, first of all, you can't run an eight man rotation uh, for that long. But I, I mean, Kelly Oubre back helps that a lot. But I will say that. Like Indiana, the Suns would not have won that game without him. And that's not the first time that's happened. There has been multiple games where Cameron Payne has been the difference. And to be honest, you can almost look at every single game and say there's a chance the Suns would not have won without Cameron Payne. And that's not to say that he's having this sort of like breakout type performances like he did in the Indiana game, but just stabilizing that position enough to where the minutes without Devin Booker or without Ricky Rubio are sustainable and in a lot of cases able to even extend the lead that the Suns have has made such a massive difference and 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 I think it's going to be an interesting conversation for for two reasons as far as this offseason goes one he has a team option for next year the Suns can pick up that option for Cameron Payne and keep him for next year uh two Elia Kobo Ty Jerome are still signed Javon Carter could potentially still be signed for next year as well I've been very impressed with Javon Carter, and I think we've talked about it before. We talked about it when David Nash was on the podcast. Having Javon Carter as a third guard makes a lot of sense. Not necessarily your backup guard, maybe like a backup shooting guard, if you will. Uh, makes a lot of sense because you can just, just what they did putting him on Dunk, Duncan Robinson and his ability to sort of night crawler his way around screens and just not get screened <laughs> is so useful and so vital. He may not be super effective in every game, 
but having that tool in your toolbox has been great. With the amount of guards that are on this team, they're going to have to shed a few of them in order to keep totally. some of the better ones. And it's going to be really interesting to see what James Jones does well, this summer. I think the this off season. I think the decision is pretty obvious at this point, in my opinion. I know it's only been five games, but campaign has shown us really just more proof that point guard is the deepest position in the NBA by far. Um, and there is a world of difference between those who should probably be in the G League <laughs> versus those who are actually... Uh, legitimately NBA caliber guards and kind of can cover the fundamentals that you would expect of an NBA guard. That means being able to break a press, um, not kind of being submissive to to ball pressure. I mean, these are very basic things, but they're kind of things that Ty Jerome struggled with. And I don't blame him necessarily because it was his rookie season. But uh, yeah, campaign is just, he's come out and he's, he's blown away my expectations. But I guess that's just because kind of how bad the other backup guards have been <laughs> all season long. It's not that he's right. necessarily done anything all that special. He's just yes. very solid. Uh, yes, and it is, I mean, I, in a weird way, the entire story of this season is addition by subtraction uh, because getting rid of a lot of the minutes that were played by other guys last season, yes. uh, Josh Jackson for one, yep. uh, has made a massive difference for the Suns in general, like replacing the point guard, uh, getting rid of Josh Jackson now, not playing Ty Jerome, not playing Elliot Kobo. All of that has made such a massive uh, difference for the Suns going forward. And yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about the bench here. You guys have, who have watched the games, you know exactly why. They have made such a massive difference. But we have to talk about DeAndre in as well. And I want to say, maybe we're not spending a lot of time talking about Devin Booker. He's been phenomenal. He's been incredible. He's an absolute superstar. Uh, I'm sure we will talk more about Devin Booker going forward. So sorry if we didn't spend enough time talking about him here. But DeAndre Ayton has had an interesting last two games. It's been two games since we talked about him. On our last episode, we briefly touched on the fact that this was after the game winner against the Clippers, that he really hasn't shown out. He hasn't had like one of those really great DeAndre Ayton performances that he started to have before uh, COVID took the NBA out entirely. Uh, he had a really great game statistically against Indiana. I think he had 23 points, 10 rebounds, four blocks. And then he kind of came out in this Miami game and was completely outplayed by Bam Adebayo, who's smaller and likely not as strong. I think strength is a, a difficult thing to identify it just is. watching he's, the games. He's got really broad shoulders, though. He's yeah. He's got strength he in looks strong. places. He can he can put yeah. a spin move on you. In fact, he did put a spin move on, on DeAndre in the post where he kind of shook him off, and I was surprised at how, how easy it looked for him, um, and then finished around the other side for a dunk. So he's definitely deceptively strong for a center who's only 6'9". Yeah, and strug- so struggling guarding Bam Adebayo is one thing, but with the amount that Miami was switching... Jay Crowder was guarding DeAndre quite a bit, and he really wasn't able to punish that matchup yeah. in that game. So, what are your thoughts about DeAndre? And is do you think he's been do you think he's been bad? Like, I know that's a weird no, thing to say. But um, do you think he's been bad? No, but I definitely think he was ineffective yesterday. I think it's amazing, right? Like, look if you look at the box score, if you didn't watch the games, the past two games against Indiana and Miami. Game one, DeAndre has 23 points, 10 rebounds. Game two, he has 18 points and 12 rebounds. There's really not much of a difference there. Outside of the four blocks he got um, against Indiana, and that's one thing. Um, But box score-wise, there's not a huge difference there. And yet it felt like, in many ways, DeAndre, one of his best and one of his worst games of the season back-to-back. 
And I guess that's kind of just proof of what Deon like DeAndre is a walking double double. We talked about this all last season. Um, he's always going to get his like 15 and 10 at the very least because he's going to walk into a few offensive rebounds. He's going to give you your putbacks. That is never something that Suns fans should take for granted, especially if you are uh, insistent on starting a small forward at power forward long term, like Cam Johnson or Kelly Oubre, guys who don't grab a lot of rebounds. Um, if you, if you want to do that, that's great, and and I think it's a winning strategy. But part of the reason it's a winning strategy is because DeAndre Ayton is an elite rebounder in year two. He's already one of the best rebounders in the NBA, um, and you know, assuming nothing crazy happens, he will be one of the best rebounders of his generation. Um, outside of that, though, he didn't really make an impact in this game at all. As you said, he he wasn't mm-hmm. able to punish Crowder. Um, he didn't take any shots from from the outside, like he maybe showed a little bit more comfort doing uh, in the previous games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it was rough, and, and I think it was kind of just a reminder that unlike Devin Booker, who kind of went through his growing pains in years two and three and four, but is now a sort of consistent superstar, DeAndre in year two really is is sometimes on and, and sometimes off, and he doesn't bring it in every game at this point in his career, and it's not a reasonable expectation to expect him to be the second star um, or the second scoring option um, in every game at this point in his career. It's just really unfortunate because yesterday was, and every game is for the Suns right now, an elimination game effectively. Um, and so for him to put in that bad of a performance against his biggest challenger yet in Bam Adebayo in a potential elimination game was really rough to see. Yeah, uh, that's a really great way to put it. And I think, yeah, DeAndre in is kind of like pizza, right? When it's bad, it's still kind of good. <laughs> That's that's a funny he, analogy, but I'll yeah, yeah I'll go with it. Yeah, eighteen points, twelve rebounds, two assists, no blocks, no steals. But with DeAndre Ayton, like if I if I picture a non Suns fans watch, watching this game, like a not someone who doesn't watch the Suns on a regular basis, just sort of watching the game, doing the thing that fans do, where they watch the ball mostly. They probably come away from this game thinking DeAndre was pretty good in that game against Miami. You think? It, yeah. I think they're going to think he kind of sucks. Well, but. 18 points, 12 rebounds, 2 assists. That's pretty good for, for, for a center. What I mean is, as a Suns fan, we are locked in to when DeAndre is not locked in. We're very capable of noticing his mental focus, and this is his biggest issue, right? It's focusing in games. And I think this is a real challenge for Monty Williams and the coaching staff because there's there's things that you have to do to snap him out of this. One, watching film. Show him the mistakes he's made. Uh, that does not always work to make somebody focused for the next game. And I think in a lot of ways what they have to do is simplify his role a little bit uh, defensively to understand things a little bit better. Uh, those are things that you not you don't necessarily want going forward. He's still a young player. He's still a young big. He only played 30 games this season before the bubble. I think it's important to say that too. A lot of Suns fans were celebrating his defense this season as a massive, massive improvement. Fair. It was a massive, massive improvement. Long-term, sustained, good defense is what we need from DeAndre Ayton. So I, I think the spotlight will be on him. The spotlight will be on him for these next three games, maybe the last three games of the season for the Suns, depending on what happens. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I, I think there's really not much more to say than that. I think we're, we're just going to have to see what happens, right? Do you have any other thoughts on Aiton? No, I think that's about it. We're just going to have to see. I think, if anything, I felt um, I expect these kinds of games of DeAndre at this point. It just hurt a little bit more last night because I, I still am clinging on to this hope of the Suns making the playoffs. And so I knew that they really needed him to step up. 
as a is he 21 or 22 now as a 21 year old i believe i think yeah um, <laughs> the season has gone longer than it it's supposed to. So. He just turned 22 because <laughs> of how long yeah. this season has been. As a 22-year-old yeah. big, for me to expect him to be the second option night in and night out with consistent defense on a playoff team, uh, it's really hard. I think, if anything, what it showed me was just that Frank Kaminsky was so bad last night that it's like, okay, it's okay that DeAndre is not all that playable right now against Adebayo, but... We really need Baines back or we need Sarge to step up consistently as a backup center because we we just need a solution there um, because those nights are going to continue to happen. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is, that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.fm and use the offer code TIMELINE or DealDash.fm slash TIMELINE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash TIMELINE. There's a few guys we haven't talked about. We're going to get to them right now. We have a segment that we're going to do. We haven't done it in a while because there hasn't been consistent games in a while. <laughs> but I did pay someone on Fiverr to write a new song for again? this segment. Again? You did it again? <laughs> I did it again. Uh, Is it I good this time? It's been, well, let's find out. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do Player of the Week. Here we go. Sam's going to hear this song for the first time right now. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sun's You're hot, but there's me. gotta be a spark. Bring it to the game like a light in the dark. And mark my words, you might just hear it here first. Enormous performance is hardwoods about to burst. Sometimes a game hinges up on a player like Bridges or Booker with a no looker or three point shot from the fringes. We let the ball do the talking and we're all watching them speak. So here's a conversation about our player of the week. Uh. Is that a, was that a Suns fan? Like, did you have? No, a, it was not. Because I'm like, what? <laughs> that, what sort of artist on Fiverr is just mentioning Mikhail Bridges casually, <laughs> or did or did he just look up the roster to make it work with the rhyme? That's crazy. Uh, uh, it was great. His name's Petrovita. He's not even in America. I don't think <laughs> he's just a rapper. I found, and I paid ten dollars to write a song for our Player of the Week segment. Keep in mind, I, keep in mind, you listeners at home can always feel free to write us exactly a, write us a jingle for player of the week and if it's good exactly. enough we may play it that's that's why i wanted to do it this week to <laughs> remind people that we'll play anything uh first of all if you want to write a song make sure it's at least relatively well recorded i don't want we to won't assault pl- we our won't listeners play quite ears. anything there were there were a couple dms we got when we first introduced this segment <laughs> back in the day of just no acapella yeah. i believe we said 
Yeah, that's true. It's got to have some sort. It's got to just. It's got to sound like good. It doesn't have to be good, but it has to like not assault your ears when you hear it. Um, but yeah, it's player of the week. Shout out to Petrovita. Thanks for making that rap for us. And shout out for the. Um, maybe he's an NBA fan. I don't know. Uh, it was pretty cool for him to mention those players in there. I'll start. You because start. I think we're going to have a longer conversation about the guy that you picked. <clears throat> My player of the week is Javon Carter for obvious reasons. <laughs> I think uh, it's, it's a good time to talk about Javon Carter. I looked up lineup stats for the Suns this week. And I was just picking random things to look at just to see if anything stuck out. I put I put it on the two-man lineups for the Suns and I, and I set some sort of minutes restriction, 50 minutes or something like that. The best two-man lineup for the Suns in the bubble is Javon Carter and Cameron Payne. <laughs> that's wild. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's wild. It's, some, it's the smallest possible backcourt you can You have. know, it's impressive, too, because the Suns have had five games so far. And Javon, obviously, this is good timing because he blew up last night. And, and good for him because he had an amazing game. Yeah. But before that, in the four games prior to it, it was campaign. It was doing the scoring. I don't think Javon had, absolutely. I don't think Javon had more than like five or six points in any of the yeah. previous games, and yeah. so he was he was still showing the ball pressure and the defensive right. intensity, but the rest of it wasn't there. So for for that to be the statistic, that's that's nuts. I think with Javon, his role is so clear, right? right? It's so defined. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do when he's on the court, and that's just harass a ball handler and constantly harass them. When he's making his shots, as he was against the Miami Heat, he's such a weapon to have because defensively, uh, he's excellent. Offensively, you can just stash him off ball in the corner, sort of a tiny PJ Tucker, <laughs> and just Literally, allow that's him a good comparison. Yeah, yeah, and just allow him to shoot shots in the corner when he's wide open. Maybe give him a pump fake, like he did a few times, and pass it back in the uh, into the paint, and just allow him to do sort of minor, minor, minor stuff. Just restrict his role. He's not great dribbling like he he's not going to create for himself or others although by dribbling the ball the one step back three he had yesterday was nasty like he hit, oh, he, hit he hit corner three after corner three and by number four right. i was like what the fuck has gotten into john Carter? <laughs> but but like the sixth one i think was an actual step back with the uh, shot clock winding down that was that was sweet dude that was crazy absolutely absolutely and and that was probably one dribble <laughs> for the record okay fair <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wanted to give him a shout out because obviously he's incredible, but the heart that he plays with is inspiring for other players. I've been saying about uh, saying it about Javon Carter all season because I think we had a constant conversation about backup point guard. That seems to be solved for now. But I'm glad he's still getting minutes because I'm convinced guys like him inspire defense and other guys on the floor. Multiple times he was switched onto Kelly Olynyk, and Kelly Olynyk could not score on him. He blocked Bam Adebayo at the rim mm-hmm. when Bam was gathering to go up for a dunk. He and also, it was a block for people also who think a, it's a steal. That was a fantastic defensive play, and I saw you you posted that one on Twitter, obviously. Then later in the game, he got switched onto Bam like with a minute left when, when the game was yes, still close. Yes, and he posted him up, mm-hmm. and he couldn't score on him. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to be able to completely defy the odds that you've been given just by the fact that he's small— uh, has been a remarkable thing, and I think I'm I'm happy he had a game where he was finally hitting his shots, because I think sometimes guys like that, uh, who who their role is defensive, even Mikhail Bridges sometimes can just get overlooked. You just don't notice it because when you look at the box score, you don't see what they're doing. 
But he once he was on Duncan Robinson, the, the entire game changed a little bit. Mikhail Bridges struggles a little bit around 10, 15 screens per play, the way they play with Duncan Robinson. Javon doesn't get screened, right? He just gets around it. So I just, I've been very impressed with Javon Carter so far, but I think he's played good minutes even without scoring. But this Miami game in particular, I had to give him a shout out in this Player of the Week segment. Who do you got, Sam? Um, I have, let's see, I was, who do I have? Okay, here's here's my player. <laughs> First, I'm going to start, my player's Cam Johnson. I was deciding if I wanted to make you guess or not, but I know, I, I figured you would have figured it out pretty quickly. So here's yeah. my Cam Johnson stat. There is, the Suns are 5-0 and in the bubble, in case you didn't know. There is only one player in the bubble, such that when that player is sitting, the Suns are still getting outscored, still have a negative rating when that player is off the court, and that player is Cam Johnson. The Suns are a minus six with Cam Johnson on the bench uh, in the bubble, even with as well as they've been doing. And I think this is mostly because of that one game where Cam Johnson was like a plus 37. I forget which game it was now, but but it was, it was nuts. Um, but the Suns overall, their net rating in the bubble, they are a plus 14 with Cam on the court. They are a minus six with him off for a net rating swing of plus 20. 0.0 points per possession that is insane it is not sustainable over an 82 game season but just <laughs> over the bubble it's it's been crazy and i think it's for a few different reasons first of all the raw per game stats cam has given us 13 and a half points he's giving us seven and a half rebounds and 2.2 assists in the bubble he's shooting 50 percent from the field 37 percent from deep hasn't missed a free throw yet and he's just, I mean, first of all, Mike, you know this, it's the spacing. Like, you've been doing this on Twitter, and, and I could go and do this later, but you could just break down uh, freeze frame specific instances of the Suns running a pick and roll between Ricky Rubio and DeAndre Ayton or Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and just freeze it, watch the gravity. DeAndre Ayton, with all this roll gravity, just freeze it right when the defense is getting sucked into him and look at Cam Johnson, and Cam Johnson is bound to have, you know, 15 feet of space. Uh, right there yes. and and when you have two playmakers literally two of the best playmakers in the league at being able to make cross-court reads in with either hand at this point in Ricky Rubio or Devin Booker the types of guys who can actually find Cam Johnson in the corner even if he's 25 feet away from them um, you you end up with good results so first of all it's just by virtue of the fact that Cam is a better floor spacer than Dario Saric he has been very successful in this lineup the other thing though that I think deserves a shout out is driving and penetration Cam hasn't done a massive amount of this, but it is simply a fact that when Kelly Oubre was out, um, when when we learned that he was not going to play, at least in the initial games of the bubble, um, Kelly Oubre is the third most likely player uh, on the Suns to drive at any given moment. It's, it's Devin Booker, and then it's Ricky Rubio, and then Kelly Oubre pre-bubble averaged six drives per game, the third most on the team. Obviously, when he was going to sit down, a massive part of creating offense in any lineup is dribble-drive penetration, and although you want Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker handling the most of your pick-and-rolls because they're the best playmakers, you also need penetration out of other players in order to make the offense work. So Kelly, six drives per game, he was out. The Suns needed to fill that hole somehow. Two players have stepped up. Mikhail Bridges went from averaging 2.7 drives per game to five per game in the bubble. He has doubled his production. And Cam Johnson averaged one, literally just one drive per game before the bubble. And now he's sitting at just under three per game in the bubble. So both of these guys, they're not doing what Oubre can do. They're not going to drive and finish over the top of anyone. Not necessarily, at least. We haven't seen it yet. Um, but they are doing their due diligence to at least go out there and try. They're not afraid to try 
uh, and, and, and attack the rim, no matter who the rim protector is. And both of them are very willing passers. And we've seen it with Cam Johnson so far. He's averaging over two assists per game in the bubble. That's not a ton. Um, but he's also only committed two turnovers in five games. So if he can keep wow. that consistent kind of ratio uh, and just make plays for others, move, uh, move the ball well and, and continue to be a floor spacer, he has been very, very impressive for a number of reasons. And and like I said, there are a, are a lot of reasons why he is number one on the Suns in net rating so far through these five games. So shout mm-hmm. out to our rookie, uh, Cam Johnson, who is supposed to be only a shooter and has proved in games with dire consequences, p- potential elimination games here in August, um, that he is much more than that in a starting lineup for a potential playoff team. Yeah, arguably one of the most important players for the team. I mean, definitely top five, obviously, with the starters. Uh, but what he so this brings us to an interesting conversation. Moving Dario Saric to the bench helped solve the using Dario correctly problem that, that we just talked about earlier in this podcast. Moving Cameron Johnson to the starting lineup also utilizes Cameron Johnson a little bit more. Why? Well, because Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton have such strong gravity. Devin Booker everywhere on the court. DeAndre Ayton, once he gets below the, the free throw line, it's just everyone gets sucked into him. That means that a pick and roll between Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, with Cameron Johnson in the corner is one of the most effective offensive plays the Suns have had in years. Probably one of the most effective trios uh, in, in the NBA. If we're being honest, of like just yeah. talking in, in terms of pure gravity, Booker is in the 90-something percentile as a finisher and playmaker. Ayton's in the 90-something percentile in, in his role gravity. Um, I know basketball index stats. I don't have them in front of me, but but they would back that up. Cam Johnson, one of the best spot-up shooters. It is a picture-perfect combination, those three together. Absolutely. And it should be said that one of the reasons it works so well, Cameron Johnson's height, 6'8", but his ability to get the shot off quickly, less than a second, from catch and release, is so effective. Recently, Kelly Oubre's status was upgraded from out to doubtful for the Miami game. This matters because that brings that opens the window slightly for a possible return of Kelly Oubre. I think if the Suns make the playoffs, I think they're going to want Kelly Oubre to return. Cameron Johnson in that starting lineup makes a lot of sense. Mikhail Bridges in that starting lineup makes a lot of sense. Why? He guards the best player on every team. He guards the best (laughs) player on every team. You cannot move Mikhail to the bench, not right now. You absolutely cannot. So the question for a lot of people is, Kelly Oubre comes back, does he start? Now, I I, I do want to say... In this specific scenario, right now, might be your only opportunity to get Kelly Oubre to buy into a bench role just for this season, right? Just for these last few games that the Suns are playing. And I say that because you're able to point at the games and say, look how well it's working. We're winning games. We don't want to mess this up right now. And two, you're coming back from injury. Let's work you back into the lineup relatively slowly. Will Kelly Oubre buy into that long term? None of us actually know. But if things work very well with him coming off the bench with Dario Saric, Cameron Payne, and they work well together coming off the bench, that could help you going forward in the future. There is no scenario where having Kelly Oubre back makes the Suns worse. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Just <laughs> say that again for the people in the yes. back. Say it again. There is no scenario where having Kelly Oubre back on the roster makes the Suns worse. The Suns need more good players. Good more players good are players important. Is good for the team. Yes. Just period. Yeah. 
I understand the conversation about <laughs> what the starting lineup should be going forward. I definitely do understand that. I, 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 you can see it just watching the film. But I do want to remind people that the Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre Ayton starting lineup was one of the best in the NBA by net rating. If you end up starting Kelly Oubre when he comes back, it's still a very effective starting lineup. Better defensively, not as good offensively, better in transition because Kelly Oubre is an excellent transition player, and you still have Cameron Johnson. If they start him, I won't be mad. If he comes off the bench, I think that's actually good long-term because maybe you can get him to buy into into a, a bench role long-term if the Suns actually prove to be like a playoff uh, team with that kind of thing going on. But I don't know. It's just it's an interesting conversation. I think that we're going to be talking about for a while here. What's Kelly Oubre's role on this team going forward? Yeah, well, I think you said it best. I think his role uh, in the short term is that he should come off the bench, and I think you could get him to buy into it. Long term, I think he's still going to want to be a starter, and I think he has good reason for believing that he was the third leading scorer on this team. He was a positive contributor, albeit maybe not as positive as some Suns fans believe, but but still a positive contributor. But uh, just to echo your sentiments again, I think Suns fans cannot fall into the trap of thinking that they, these particular five games that we've just had are reflective of the experience that the Suns are always going to have. They're absolutely not. More good players is important. The fact that the Suns are only an eight-man deep team right now, that, that you're only comfortable with playing eight players, should scare you for the future. They still need more depth. Um, and on top of that, you know there are some ways in which the Suns have gotten very lucky. In the past couple of weeks, opponents through the bubble so far are shooting 29% from deep against the Suns. That is luck, frankly. There, there right. have been, there, we've seen a million times over, defenses, NBA defenses cannot control, even the best defenses in the league, cannot control the percentage that other teams shoot against them from three outside of maybe a one to two percent swing. As good, as, as good of a defensive team as you are, you can't control that. What you can control is how often other teams shoot threes against you. You can you can control the volume, and there are various ways to do that. You can change up your pick-and-roll scheme. You can do all sorts of things to, to control the volume. But long-term, you cannot control efficiency. All NBA teams in the long-term are eventually going to shoot something like 34 to 36% from deep against you. And if you look at the stats this year, that's, that's the case for all 30 NBA teams. So the fact that teams are shooting 29% against us right now definitely means that the Suns have gotten a bit lucky so far. You're still going to take it. You're still going to be happy that you're 5-0. and But the Suns need more good players, and that means that they need mm-hmm. Kelly Oubre back, ultimately. Yes. Now, having said that, <laughs> I am leaning towards the starting lineup being a little bit better with Cameron Johnson in it. I am, as you guys know, have al- I've always been team shooters. I think that Devin Booker is a little more Kyrie Irving and a little more Chris Paul than he is Clay Thompson. And that means putting shooters around him and DeAndre Ayton is the best possible scenario for the offense going forward. I will say that. I mean, that's just how I feel. But I don't think that I don't think that the starting lineup is t- like somehow got, is going to get terrible somehow, right? It was plus nineteen, uh, and this is in a lot bigger sample size than we've seen with Cameron Johnson in the starting lineup. One thing I will say is what's impressive about the Cameron Johnson net rating stats. It's like plus fourteen, plus fifteen right now. That starting lineup is that it's only really against good teams outside of the Washington Wizards. True. So impressive to to do that uh whereas um 
there's sort of a mixture with Kelly Oubre in that starting lineup. But I, I will say, for Monty Williams, he does have an opportunity here to have reasons, right? There are reasons for bringing Kelly Oubre on the, off the bench going forward. If he does come back, hopefully he does. If the Suns make the playoffs, I think he will. We'll get an opportunity to see him in these important games as well. Coming back from injury, it's a little unfair to judge it going forward. But I do think that it will be an interesting thing to talk about. And I don't think that I'm prepared to make like a final decision on how I feel about this. And I don't think we have to. We have a little more time to talk about this. But but I think Cameron Johnson is an excellent choice by you, Sam, uh, for Player of the Week because he's been absolutely impressive. Uh, but this will be an interesting conversation going forward. Yeah, we're going to keep having it. All right, one more segment, and then we're going to get to Jacob Niffin. Let's, let's talk about Draymond Green real quick in Cold Take of the Week. Jesus, <laughs> All right, Draymond Green was a guest on the TNT crew this week, and he said this about Devin Booker. It's great to see Book playing well and Phoenix playing well, but get my man out of Phoenix. It's, it's not good for him. It's not good for his career. Sorry, Chuck, but uh, wow. Book, they got to get Book out of Phoenix. I need my man to go somewhere where he can play great basketball all the time and win because he's that type of player. Are you tampering? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Obviously, we did not have to talk about this because honestly, it doesn't matter. I don't give a shit. I'm going to say right now. So I'm going to let you kind of ISO on this one. (laughs) Thank you for that. But it doesn't matter what Draymond Green thinks. Today it was announced that he was fined $50,000 for these remarks, probably because he just straight up said he was tampering. But I do want to just take a moment to say this. Devin Booker was on this, has been on the Suns for five years. For four years, the storyline, the narrative, the national media, all they talked about was whether or not he was good. Yeah. Now. That's a good point. Now, the Suns have finally surrounded him with players, and they're healthy enough now to show how good he is. And that team is winning games. And now the narrative is, get Devin Booker out of Phoenix. That's just straight up wrong. The narrative should have been for the last four years, get Devin Booker out of Phoenix. I'll be honest. This year, the Suns have Monty Williams. Mikhail Bridges is turning into one of the best defenders in the league. DeAndre Ayton has potential to be an all-star for this team. Kelly Oubre is not even playing, and he's excellent. Aaron Baines is there. Cameron Johnson. The Suns hit on that draft pick for all the shit that they took. For making that trade, they hit on that draft pick. Cameron Johnson is a good NBA player. For the narrative to now be, get Devin Booker out of Phoenix, the timing is wrong. You are wrong. The Suns surrounded Devin Booker with complimentary pieces that make his skill set shine. They hide his (laughs) negative defense with a lot of good defensive players around him. They're the youngest team in the league, and they have ability to create Lots of cap space going forward. Now is not the time to get Devin Booker out of Phoenix. What is a better situation for him? It's not, it's not going to be Minnesota, right? Those no. guys really don't fit. Those guys won 19 games this year, and it's yeah. not going to work. It's not going to work. To say this now shows that you're kind of stupid, Draymond Green. And it's not just him, because so many people are agreeing with him online. It's just funny how people were not even sure that he was good. 
Now that they're winning, they know that he's good, and they're saying to get him out. I'm sorry. Now's the best time for him to be in Phoenix. Yeah. The entire team is built around him. There, there's not a lot of scenarios where that's going to be the same. They're all wrong. To be fair, a lot of the people that I think are, are kind of agreeing with Draymond online are like depressed Knicks fans who just want, you know, they want a good player on their team that's not like R.J. Barrett. You know, so I think I think that's part of it is just like people someone says de- free Devin Booker from Phoenix and then you know the roster baiters out there get excited and they start jerking themselves off a little bit at the idea of having Devin Booker on their team uh, I think that's part of it but obviously the narratives have to catch up to reality and that's always been the case for the Suns we've always said that that kind of the narratives are not going to catch up on Devin Booker until the Suns start winning games I will say this is kind of what what gives me faith in in some players. I know we have to hate this guy right now because we're actively competing with him for a ninth seed. But but guys like Damian Lillard, the little spat, he got in with uh, on Instagram with Paul George the other day about uh, when he was calling out Paul George after he said he sent him home last year, and then he said keep you know keep running, keep running from the grind, keep changing teams. <laughs> it gives you a greater respect for players like that, Damian Lillard and, and Devin Booker, who I think are two players cut from the same cloth who actually decide to commit to one organization when clearly there are these narratives that build and and there are these media messages that are hard to tune out for many players that if you're not winning constantly, you should just give up on your organization and go run, go run to some other city and team up with someone else. And I think we have seen that affect um, how many kind of the the overall NBA culture, the landscape that there is um, where there are players like Draymond Green trying to actively tamper with, with Devin Booker on national TV. But, you know, just to say my my quick piece on it, like, I don't actually give a shit what Draymond Green specifically thinks about about the situation. I don't think Draymond Green is particularly in the know about any of this stuff. I've never thought that his basketball analysis would be all that great. No. Um, nor am I worried about him getting Devin Booker to actually join the Warriors. So what what he says, yeah. I don't give a shit. Adam Silver's yeah. going to enjoy his $50,000 and hopefully put it to good use. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- yeah, no chance he joins the Warriors. I actually do think Draymond Green, when he talks about basketball, is kind of interesting. Everything else he can kind of keep to oh, I mean, himself. Draymond Green's a very smart basketball player, but he's also kind of an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting... Yeah, it's- that's, that's the real truth. If you think this about Devin Booker now, you're just kind of dumb. I'm sorry. The team is built around Devin Booker, and it magnifies his strengths, and it, it kind of gets rid of some of his weaknesses. So just going forward, we'll see. I think I think... The smart people will be saying the right thing about the Suns going forward, assuming they can continue to build on this and they do the Look, right things with their cap space in this offseason. I guess it almost matters who the message is coming from, though, right? Because, like, look, we're not, as Suns fans, we're not stupid. I'd like to think we're not naive. And we know that this is an organization steeped in dysfunction. If you look at it for the past five years, we're only like a year removed from that hit piece from ESPN about goat shit and all that stuff and, and Greta. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. So there are certain people where if this message came from them, I wouldn't necessarily blame them. If the argument was, I don't trust Robert Starver to handle Devin Booker long term. And for that reason, I think he should get out. But if if it's coming from a place of just Phoenix is bad um, and they're not surrounding you with good talent when they clearly are now, as you just said, Mike, then then that's just ignorance. And so I think from Draymond, it's it's less of the other argument, which I would almost buy into um, if it's like a Sarver based thing. And it's more just ignorance of that. This is actually a pretty good team on paper now. Yeah. Yeah. And shout out to the Suns for playing so well in the bubble that that narrative can slowly sort of go away, hopefully, especially if they make the playoffs. I think that'll be the big changing factor. But just a reminder, everyone, I think we need to say this more online. Devin Booker's 23 years old. <laughs> He's 23. 
I just that's that's all I'm gonna say there. Let's switch over to Jacob Niffin. Jacob hosts the Uncontested and OKC Thunders podcast. We'll talk a little bit about that OKC game and what to expect. And who's gonna be guarding Devin Booker? I think is a question that we had for him. So check that out. We'll be back. Who knows when? Definitely next week. Maybe before that, if something crazy happens. <laughs> All right, joining us, one of our Blue Wire counterparts here, Jacob Niffin, one of the hosts of the Uncontested Podcast, which is an OKC Thunder podcast. Jacob, how are you doing? Hey, man, I am doing great. Thank you guys so much for letting me come on today. Definitely. Thank you for joining us. It's an interesting time, obviously. Uh, with the bubble, the Suns are somehow, as we record this, undefeated 5-0, and and the OKC game is coming up. So we wanted to preview that game a little bit and talk about what that matchup is going to look like. How have you felt about the Thunder so far in the bubble? So it's been interesting. Um, the early games in the bubble, and even up to now, like a lot of the games have been very, very competitive and the Thunder's first game in the bubble, kind of poetically, was against the Utah Jazz, the game that was supposed to happen but ended up shutting down the entire league because mm. Rudy Gobert wanted to touch a bunch of microphones. <laughs> so the Thunder's first game was against Utah and just came out and blew the doors off of them. And the the Thunder community was like, oh, man, this team did get better over the break. These young guys are so good, blah, blah, blah. And then they, they threw up a stinker against Denver that ended up going into overtime. The Thunder lost uh, kind of in surprising fashion with Chris Paul missing a clutch free throw in the final 10 seconds mm. of the game, which just very uncharacteristic of him. Then they come out and beat the Lakers, uh, slacked them by 20-something points. And then again, Thunder fandom thought, oh, the number one seed in the West just beat the Lakers. And then now we've seen that it looks like everybody in the bubble Besides the Clippers beats the Lakers. So, you know, it's hard to read into that one. And then, am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? Yeah, whatever you want to say. Just it. got their asses beat by Memphis. Yeah. I mean, and that was Lord. that was the one Suns fans tuned into, unfortunately, because we yeah. need Memphis to lose. <laughs> yeah, thanks, by the way. Yeah, I don't know what the hell happened in that game. But, I mean, they the Thunder made seven of nine three-pointers in the first quarter, and it was like, oh, my gosh, this Lou Dort had, like, yeah. 12 at the end of the first, and we're like, oh, we're going to the finals. And then just <laughs> shit the bed the rest of the way. And it was... I think they got outscored 102 to 55 after the first quarter. Wow. Yep. That's wow. it was bad that on Twitter. Yeah. It was bad. So, so you've got four games left. By the time a lot of people listen to this, it'll be three games left because I think you guys are playing the Wizards in like an hour from when we're recording. But what are the realistic expectations now? Because with the way the Western Conference standings are set up, you guys are kind of in that position where you could vie for certain positioning. Like you could play the Nuggets, you could play the Rockets in the first round. Do you have a preferred matchup there if, if you could choose, or are you just trying to get the highest possible seed? So definitely a preferred matchup would be the Utah Jazz. I oh, don't yeah. know what, what the path to get there <laughs> is. Um, Houston would have to lose and drop back to six, and then the Thunder would have to meet the Jazz in the 4-5 or five matchup, and I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, Utah has not been that great, and the Rockets have been... W- if the Rockets needed to lose, it was against Milwaukee and that opening night game against Dallas, and neither of those happened. And so I don't see that happening now, which means, like you mentioned, the Thunder are most likely looking at a 4-5 matchup against Houston or a 3-6 matchup against Denver. 
Neither of those are super exciting. Uh, obviously, the Houston one has tons of storylines, and it makes it even more interesting that it's in a bubble without fans rather than you know Chris Paul going back to Houston mm-hmm. and uh, Russell Westbrook coming into Oklahoma City in a playoff matchup. But that matchup really scares me because even though Houston is so up and down, I feel like they're a team in the bubble that has maybe one of the highest ceilings but also one of the lowest floors. Well, yeah. And so, and so the the star power there is frightening. But then on the flip side, Denver, Jokic has always given Steven Adams trouble. And so you worry about that as well. But Steven Adams is one of the Thunder's top five players. And in a Denver series, you can play Adams. Whereas in a Houston series, I don't know how much you get to play Steven Adams mm-hmm. just because of the pocket rockets. You know, are you going to put Steven Adams out there and ask him to guard PJ Tucker out on the perimeter for 30 plus minutes a game? So it, it's a very, you're looking at two completely contrasting styles that they could possibly play in round one. And it's really weird to kind of see how that's going to play out. And then on top of all of that, the Thunder. Their first round pick this year belongs to the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, It is top 20 protected. The Thunder are sitting at like 22 right now. So they're losing their pick to Philly. But if if Philly and Indiana play a little bit better and jump the Thunder and maybe the Thunder lose a couple games and drop down to six, there's a chance they can retain their first round pick this year. And Mm. instead, that converts to two future seconds. So there's also that kind of end play. Now, I don't think the front office and the the players are actively saying, you know, we got to lose this one and win this one so we can ensure we get the number 19 pick in the <laughs> in the poor 2020 draft. But it's just another wrinkle to throw in there. Now, you brought up Steven Adams and uh, he rested. I guess it's sort of an injury thing uh, against Memphis. And I think that was partially the reason Memphis was able to play so well. Steven Adams uh, such a force defensively, tends to make the right decision, gives Aiton some trouble as well. I think big, strong, super strong bigs uh, take away that strength advantage that Aiton has on most uh, big men in the league. What's the story on him? Is he injured? Is he going to be playing today against the Wizards? Do you think he'll be back against the Suns? Or what do you think is going on with Steven Adams? Yeah, so as of about 30 minutes ago, uh, with media availability, they announced that Steven Adams uh, is available today, as is Mike Muscala, who was out under concussion protocol. Uh, In the Lakers game, Steven had a Really nice move, cutting across the lane and throwing up a little lefty baby hook over JaVale McGee. And JaVale McGee then pulled out like some WWE, like Dwayne The Rock Johnson shit and fell on <laughs> Adam's leg. And like his leg curled up underneath him. And then JaVale landed on top of it and it twisted. And so he, Steven played a little bit more in that Lakers game, but was very like visibly limping on that leg. And so they sat him against Memphis for just for precautionary reasons, but it does look like he is good to go today. So as long as nobody else tries to go off the top rope on him, he should be available again <laughs> tomorrow against the Phoenix Suns. Um, and then, like I said, Mike Muscala is also back. Uh, Nerlens Noel, obviously healthy. Uh, the only player that I think will not be available for that Suns game is Dennis Schroeder, who is still out of the bubble uh, for the birth of his child. That's right. I actually forgot that was happening. Now, one thing, when I was looking at some bubble stats uh, today, so I was just sorting sort of the team stats uh, by games that are happening in the bubble. OKC has so far 
in the bubble games, the second best defensive rating uh, of all the teams uh, in the NBA or all the teams that are playing right now in the bubble. I'm not sure. First of all, if you knew that, I'm sure you did. Why do you think that is? What do you think is the focus of their defense? And, and why do you think they're able to maintain that good of a defensive rating? So I think it would be the number one defensive rating if they didn't give up a hundred and frickin' ninety <laughs> points against Memphis. Um, but no, the defense has been really good. The defense has been pretty good all year, and in the bubble, it's kind of stepped up to the next level. And I think this team has a lot of really good defenders who don't give up on plays. And I don't know if you could say that about Thunder teams of past, specifically a certain point guard who. Uh, would get screened and then just never try on that defensive possession again. <laughs> Chris Paul obviously is a defensive savant. He's he's so intelligent with how he plays defense. He's so pesky. And then the biggest one, the re- revelation this year, uh, and maybe somebody you guys are a little familiar with down there in Arizona, Lugans Dort. Oh, yeah. Is sure. I, I've started now calling him the Dorcher Chamber because he <laughs> locks dudes that. up and they can't get out. Um, he is... He was pissing off LeBron James the other night just with his physicality. I think LeBron finally had enough of it and just lowered his shoulder and ran Lou over in the paint. But Lou has been incredible. For a guy that's that thick and that muscular and just that much of like a, a tank, he gets over screens better than almost any player, young player that I've ever watched. And right. it blows my mind that he was undrafted. Uh, yeah, Shea Gilchrist-Alexander, his length allows him to be a good defender. Gallo... Danilo Gallinari, probably the weakest defender in that starting lineup. And then you guys mentioned Steven Adams is so sound as a defensive anchor. He's not going to block shots. Uh, He's not going to rack up those defensive counting stats. But Steven has mentioned this before, that like his job isn't to block shots. His His job is to get the defense in a position where you can defend the play properly and not have to block a shot because a guy got to the rim. And so his defensive philosophy is really good. And then off the bench, Nerlens Noel is a good bench center. Uh, Hamadou Diallo has been very good defensively so far in the bubble. Hmm. And they got Andre Robertson back, who hasn't played a lot of minutes. But had he not messed his leg up two years ago, I think he was headed for a defensive player of the year. If he wouldn't have won it, he would have got second place. He was phenomenal that season, just absolute lockdown. And so... I, I think a, a collection of good individual defenders who understand what the team wants to do defensively. Uh, they communicate really well. They've changed up how they guard the pick and roll a little bit with their bigs now dropping and allowing their athletic guards to get over the top of screens. And then, I, honestly, part of it is just guys have missed shots. The Lakers shot like 20% from three against the Thunder on game number two. Uh, Utah just couldn't make anything against the Thunder. So part of it, I think, is also just small sample size. But the team is a good defensive team, especially when they're locked in. Uh, Dennis Schroeder is even having probably the best defensive season of his career, although he's not in the bubble right now. So I I, I think it's a combination of a handful of things. Yeah, I mean, you guys really just, with the players you listed off have that strategy of just these long lengthy high IQ defenders guys like Lou Dort who by the way I'm so happy to see that he's starting to score a little bit more now had 16 points in that Memphis game um, Hamadou Diallo what do you think the game plan is for OKC going into this Phoenix game against Devin Booker who's gonna primarily match up presumably SGA is gonna match up against Booker at least from the get-go but but that's Phoenix's I'll, I'll tell you right now our number one option DeAndre Ayton, based on the game he just had against Bam Adebayo yesterday against Miami, 
is a little bit more iffy. Sometimes, you know, he shows up and he has a great game, but but I think kind of as Mike alluded to a minute ago, might struggle a little bit more against Steven Adams. Um, so how do you think these two teams kind of will match up against each other defensively? So I think Lou Dort is going to draw the Devin Booker assignment and will guard him most of the game. That that would be I would be surprised if that didn't happen. Uh, I think you'll see SGA guard Mikael Bridges and then Chris Paul and Ricky Rubio. Uh, so so they're probably just going to match up straight across uh, all the way down. And I've mentioned it to my co-host on my podcast. I am so excited to watch Lou Dort guard Devin Booker. I mean, when Lou Dort was a two-way player, they called him up to the Thunder. Somebody was injured. I think Terrence Ferguson was injured. This was when Terrence Ferguson still played basketball. He's he's so buried <laughs> in the depth chart now, you will not see him tomorrow uh, unless one of the teams is it's just a blowout. But Lou Dort got called up uh, from his two-way deal to come play with the Thunder. And his first matchup, they put him on Damian Lillard for 20-plus minutes. And then on the second night of a back-to-back, they put him on Donovan Mitchell for 20-plus minutes. Uh, And then they had an off night, and then they went out to Sacramento, and he guarded Buddy Heald for, I think, 30 minutes. So he definitely got like a baptism by fire. And he is their go-to guy for the opposing team's best perimeter player. So Lou versus Booker is going to be a ton of fun. Obviously, Lou, just that tank, he he uses his chest to defend more than his hands. And I think the, uh, the refs let him get away with a little bit more because he's not reaching, he's not poking, he's just using his body. And so to see Booker, who has just incredible footwork, go up against Lou, whose upper body strength, he's going to try to push him around a little bit. It's just going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, I, I got to be honest with you guys. Shea Gilgis Alexander has struggled a little bit in the bubble, and then throwing Mikael Bridges on him <laughs> scares me that Shea is going to have a poor game offensively against the Suns. But besides that, I think the matchups are going to be pretty straightforward across the board. I actually think there's a good chance that uh, Mikael Bridges guards Chris Paul for oh, interesting, a, a significant portion of the game. He just he's just hurt good at harassing. Uh, ball handlers. I, I will say that matchup is not super, super great for Mikhail Bridges in general because super crafty players that are able to get their shots off in mid-range, it's just guys like CJ McCollum are, are the type of guys that actually give uh, Mikhail Bridges a little bit of trouble other than like yesterday with Duncan Robinson just constantly be run, being run out around screens is something that bothers him a little bit too. But I do like when he guards guys that dribble a lot. So I, I think there's a chance that he's on Chris Paul, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that ends up happening. I do have two questions for you. First one's kind of easy. Do you think there's any chance that the Thunder rest anyone, being that this will be the second night of a back-to-back? And uh, you know, Chris Paul's a little bit older. Steven Adams coming back from a slight injury. Uh, do you think there's any chance it happens? And then going forward with the Thunder next season... This is more of just a future question and, and your thoughts on this in general. What are the chances that the Thunder actually make an attempt to bring this team back? They've overperformed, I think, what a lot of people expected. Uh, most people thought Chris Paul would have been moved by the middle of this season. He was not. Uh, Danilo Gallinari is a free agent. Uh, you know, What are the chances that this team actually stays together going forward? Okay, so for your first question, I don't know if they'll rest anybody. Uh, I know Andre is sitting out today against the Wizards, Andre Robertson, and I can't remember off the top of my head. Somebody else is sitting out today. So I don't know if they'll rest anybody on the second night. It it definitely depends, I think, on seating and stuff as well. So 
we'll see on that. Uh, honestly, I don't have any insight into that. But as far as next season is concerned, that is a fascinating question that I we debate a lot on our podcast. You know, it, it, it's so hard to say. Like, can can you find a trade partner for Chris Paul this summer? I think this season has raised his trade value as far as he's no longer seen as a negative asset, but probably a net neutral asset. Uh, there's been talks that you know the New York Knicks were interested. Uh, obviously, with the Knicks bringing in Tibbs, you don't bring in Tibbs to develop a young team. You bring in Tibbs because you want to win. So maybe Chris Paul in New York fit makes a little bit of sense. But with the uncertainty of the financial future of the league and what the salary cap looks like, uh, it makes those things more difficult. Um, Sam Presti, at the beginning of this season, before training camp started, penned an op-ed in the local paper uh, that was very Sam Presti-ish. It was a whole bunch of really big words. And and this guy, whenever he's done being a GM, he can go and run for politics immediately, uh, just the way he talks. But the one thing that really stood out to me in that was that basically he, he, and I'm not quoting this, but paraphrasing, he said that living in that middle ground where, you know, you're not good enough to really compete, but you're just good enough to not, you know, maximize your draft potential. That's like purgatory in the NBA. You don't want to be just kind of floating in that middle ground. You either want to be really good like the Thunder have been for almost the past decade, or you want to be racking up lottery draft picks, you know, and drafting in the top 10, top five. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, it's hard for me to see them just bringing the gang back. Um, You know, if, if your options are let Danilo Gallinari walk for nothing or resign him, maybe they resign him looking to flip him at, at the next trade deadline for whatever they can get. Um, You know, if they can get any sort of asset for Chris Paul, I think they'll do it. And if Chris Paul, if if a Chris Paul trade happens this offseason, I'm going to say this summer, it's not going to be this summer, this like November, (laughs) um, I think that's when you start seeing a lot of things like them looking to move Dennis Schroeder, them looking to move Steven Adams, them looking to move uh, or maybe just letting Danilo Gallinari walk uh, and really tearing this team down to the studs and rolling with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Darius Baisley, Lou Dort, and trying to maximize, even though the Thunder have a million draft picks coming up, mm-hmm. the only picks they can control are their own. And so I wouldn't be just surprised to see them, if they can get Chris Paul off the books, to tear everything else down to the studs and let these young guys kind of run run the show themselves and try to maximize their own pick moving forward. Yeah, I wonder if Presti almost sees that as a challenge for himself to take himself back to the roots of obviously what he did with that team originally in the late 2000s. He hasn't really had a, a challenge like that to tank with this franchise in, in what, 13 years? So that would, yeah. be, that would be really interesting. Definitely. And, you know, there's some people worry like, oh, if the Thunder trade away their players and they're bad, does, does Presti even want to stay in Oklahoma City? Well, when you look <laughs> at a GM who likes challenges and puzzles and yeah. and wants an opportunity to build something. (laughs) I mean, holy shit, man. He's got... He's going to love it. Yeah. I mean, and and I don't think... This question comes up a lot. I don't think they're looking to package draft picks to go get a Bradley Beal or package draft picks to try to go get a Carl Anthony Towns. I think the most likely scenario for Oklahoma City and what Presti likes to do is package those draft picks to move up from pick 9 and 13 to pick 5. 
uh, move up from pick right. eight and ten to, right. to three and go get a guy that they really like. Yep, that's really interesting. And uh, I wouldn't mind if you guys did that. Uh, we need some team to make some room for the Suns in the playoffs next season. So feel <laughs> hey, free, I think feel free there, to trade there, them. There's all a away. chance, man. The, the West <laughs> is going to be a bloodbath next season, whatever next season looks like. Yeah. But the Suns, what they've done in the bubble, uh, the youth on that team, and mm-hmm. the Suns are 5-0 and without Kelly Oubre. Like, I don't know how many people are realizing that right now. Right. You add Kelly Oubre to this team as well right now, and that's a scary-ass team. I Coming into the bubble, I was like, "There's the, the play-in game is going to be New Orleans and, and Memphis for that eighth seed. I am now on team... We're gonna get Portland and Phoenix Hell at the yeah. eight nine for that three team play in. Like I'm, I am ro- actively rooting. We for We need that. Memphis to drop some games first, so we'll see if it yeah. happens. But but it's good oh. to have you on board. Um, yeah. So thank thanks for hopping on the bandwagon too, Jacob. Yeah, oh, Jake, definitely. Jacob Niffin, host of the Uncontested OKC podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Got to give them a shout out too. Uh, Jacob, what's your at on Twitter? So it's just at Jacob Niffin. Last name is K N I F F E N, and then the Twitter for the podcast is at the underscore uncontested uh we drop a lot of really good memes and stuff so so go check it out (laughs) yeah definitely uh check out their podcast follow both of those accounts on twitter jacob thank you for joining us hey thank you guys so much i had a great time sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events major league baseball is back in action and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partner bet online Check out all the odds, futures, and prop bets all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.